everyone once again welcome back to our financing simplified podcast uh if you haven't checked out our last podcast with nick Stilo from one urban we encourage you to do that uh very interesting conversation we're going to shift gears right now uh, i'm going to throw it back over to you nick uh give us a little insight you know introduce yourself once again to our viewers yeah, thanks for having me on your show again. Uh, so my name is Nick Stilo. I'm the uh, chief operating officer and one of the principals of One Urban. One Urban is a multidisciplinary real estate company that uh, is in the development business, in the building business, in the property management business, and uh, and uh, we're uh, soon to open up different different um, divisions of our company. I can't say too much about it just yet, but uh, we are slowly becoming multi uh, or vertically integrated rather. That's amazing news. And as I said, like, love the conversation with you. We always have good conversations on and off the camera. And I think one of the major conversations right now, especially when it comes to builders and developing, is the the current cost of the financing right now. Obviously, the affordable housing, we were talking about several components earlier on. And I wanted to get your insight on, like, the maybe the up and coming areas, things that maybe we should be paying attention to. We're talking about multifamily homes, multifamily units are going to be, I believe uh, the next big thing. If they already aren't, they're already the biggest thing. I've been seeing a lot of conferences on that. What are some of your thoughts on that? So in terms of uh, geographical areas here in Ontario, I think up and coming markets are Niagara Falls. I think that Windsor, uh, is an up and coming market. Um, both of them have very, very strong rents. Uh, both of them have uh, very, dare I say, affordable lands still. Uh, you know, properties in the GTA um, are, are so expensive now that, that really uh, it's, it's almost impossible to do purpose-built rentals. You, you almost have to sell them um, and you have to sell those properties for $1,500 plus a square foot to ever make your money back. But in these tertiary markets like uh, uh, Windsor and, uh, and Niagara Falls, and, and frankly, I wouldn't even call them tertiary. I, I would call them uh, uh, secondary markets because uh, they're really not in the outskirts. They're, they're still accessible from uh, um, Metrolinx and, and go uh, trains. Uh, these markets are really up and coming and there's a lot of opportunity there and they're still not that built out just yet. Uh, there's still a lot of opportunity for builders to go in there and even just, you know, um, your average investor to go in there and start scooping up some multifamily properties in these areas because as uh, as the areas become more gentrified and built up, now you've got an opportunity where the rents are going to start to go up and uh, and it, it creates a little bit more of a lucrative investment. You said gentrified. We were talking about this and I really love this concept in the sense that you can take an area or go in to an area that was previously maybe one level or one set of criteria, let's say, for the not sake of not as desirable, maybe not as desirable. That's the that's probably the word I was looking for. And then you can go in there and really, you know, change the direction or the course of what that area will will look like. We were talking about Soho, and you're also, you know, talking about these costs with, you know, getting those rents, having to sell these units. As we bring in higher and higher levels of immigration, where where are we putting these people right now? Like from your perspective, because I know you guys as develop, developers and builders, you must have these conversations and sort of say, well, where do we go from here? How do we how do we get more inventory? How do we get more product into the marketplace? Well, first off, you're putting them in the sky, so you are using airspace. 
Uh, condos are, are not going to go anywhere. Uh, High-rise uh, purpose-built rental buildings are not going anywhere. In fact, it's the only place that we can put them. Uh, uh, you know, we recently heard that the provincial government now took back the green belt. So now that that's a, a ton of housing that was promised to come to market, which is not going to come to market. Um, unfortunately, the the, um, the uh, province of Ontario is a very, very big province, and there's a lot of green space that can be built on. But the unfortunate part is that we just can't build on that. So where do you build? You build in the sky. So that's the first thing. Second Second thing is you start looking at these outside markets, which weren't uh, uh, previously as desirable as the GTA. Again, like the Niagara Falls area, like the Windsor area, like London, like Chatham. There's a there's a, like Port Colburn out in the east. There's a lot of areas that are still accessible um, to the GTA or people working in the GTA, but it'll just a bit further out. And there's an opportunity for developers to go in there and gentrify. Uh, and gentrification is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's uh, it's uh, taking uh, an area that was previously a little bit less desirable and now putting new product in there and and putting a, a new vibe of living in these areas and 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 people are attracted to them again. Mm-hmm. And I I love how you're saying on the outskirts and stuff like that. Now there's a lot of conversation happening. I think Calgary's done this. They've went through a major. Uh, changed a lot of their commercial units. I don't know. I don't know if I'm if, if you're aware or familiar with the uh, the concept. But obviously, what do you think like, it would take as a developer? Would you ever consider taking a commercial building and you know unzoning it or rezoning it to maybe fit multi families or condos or units? Absolutely. In fact, you're seeing a lot of REITs doing that now in the city of Toronto, where they're taking a lot of empty office space and they are rezoning it for residential and converting them to residential. So what were previously high-rise office buildings, which are now, quite frankly, empty after the pandemic, where a lot of companies realized they didn't need five floors of offices in prime downtown location, and now they've reduced that to one floor, if that, and the majority of their of their employees are working from home rem- remotely. Mm-hmm. These building owners and property owners are now rethinking their strategy of how do we make money on this now. If the businesses aren't coming back, if the, if the the offices are not coming back and people aren't renting anymore, how do we convert these now and make money on them? So what they're doing is converting them into housing. So absolutely, I would I would look at opportunities like that. Now personally, I like to take nothing and turn it into something. So I like buying land. I like putting it through the development process. I like seeing the birth of a of a brand new building. But I'm not closed to the idea of um, uh, buying an asset and converting it into a multifamily asset. So I actually 100% agree. You're saying that, and for those of you paying attention or watching, if you were to buy something in those treasury or uh, secondary markets, you're going to pay a lot less. And the rents are not that far off from where you're getting in Toronto. So you're almost better off looking into these secondary markets. They're more profitable uh, for up-and-coming developers, real estate investors that are looking. And this begs the question because we get a lot of calls and a lot of questions about this, and they say, Anth, real estate investing, it's dead. It's dead in Ontario. What are your thoughts on that? False. False. Can I mention another podcast on here? Or, or, uh, Absolutely. So uh, some, some guys out there, uh, Daniel Fosh and Nick Hill, who have a, a, a fantastic um, podcast on real estate on their own, uh, talking to these guys, and they've got multifamily units out in the secondary markets that are cash flowing. Find me a investment in the city of Toronto that's cash flowing today. There's probably not many. There's none. 
unless you've owned it for a long time and you've been able to 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 uh, you know realize on that on that equity and increase you haven't refinanced on, and or releveraged it, and you haven't you know then uh, then you're cash flowing. But if you're buying today, you are not cash flowing. Period. But these guys are cash flowing out in Angus. These guys are cash flowing out in Port Colburn. These guys are cash flowing in some of the in Peterborough. But most investors want to stick to the city of Toronto because it's Toronto, and I get it. I get it. The you know there there's a there's a a line from the very very first episode of House of Cards that I'll never forget, where uh, where um, uh, he says the main character, I mean Francis says uh, Underwood. He says, "Well, the, the power is like real estate. The closer you are to the center, the more the more expensive and 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 pricey it is." And I get it. Okay, the more closer you are to the city of Toronto, the more closer you are to financial district, the closer you are to entertainment district, the more valuable that real estate is. But what value does it have if you're pumping so much money into that? unit every month just to keep it going investors are they say on some of these new projects are making up almost 30 percent of your sales if not more if not more what problems like in this day and age like most people buy these units like you're you're i believe one urban was what a couple like the the, the from from launch that was a couple years right uh from pre-sale to close how long was it three years three years okay so in that three-year period let's say i bought it three years ago right Obviously, it's closed, different market. But let's say, what are some of the, the things that you could see happening right now with higher interest rates? People aren't qualifying. What actually happens? Like for viewers that don't understand, like they may think, oh, the, the, the builder is the end user of the condo unit. They can just absorb these units. How does it work? How do, for you as a developer, you can't close. Can you close on this unit if you have existing units outstanding? How does it work? So you certainly register the building. Um, you can only close the units that the purchaser or purchaser is able to get financing on. On the ones where they're not able to get financing, you can't close. Now, as a builder, you do have the right to keep their deposit, which is um, which is written in the in the agreement. agreement of purchase and sale. So there, it's not it's not something that's illegal. Um, in, in fact, uh, it's the only way that the builder can try to recoup some of that revenue. And then uh, what a lot of builders will do on unclosed units is they'll take an inventory finance. And they will uh, they will finance those units that have not closed. Uh, maybe they'll put a tenant in there to try to carry the cost. They'll use some of the deposits to try to carry the cost. But at the end of the day, they're out. They're out of those funds. But I'll put it to you this way: If I was building condos today, I would be very scared. In this market, I would be extremely scared. When you've got seven percent interest rates, and a lot of people are seeing, I'm seeing uh, assignment sales through the roof and some guys uh, and investors are walking away from deals and they're taking a loss they're they're, they're walking away and they're taking a hundred thousand dollars loss and they've already paid the deposit on it they just know they're not going to qualify so they want to just get out and get out with something if i was that developer i would be very very scared because imagine you've got a 200 unit building and now you know half of them don't close you've got 100 units even if you finance that and get an inventory financing, you still got to carry those payments. Even if you put a, a tenant in there, you still got to carry those payments. It might not cover those payments. So now you're out of pocket. You've got to continue making those payments until they sell. And in a market like this where stuff isn't selling, good luck. And and is this, like as you said, it's, it is scary. And that's sort of the, the down, you're, you're you know, tugging that line where I wanted to sort of bring this conversation because I think for a lot of people, the question is, is will, okay, even if that inventory does end up spilling back into the market, um, is it going to move the needle? Number one. Number two is, as you mentioned, these assignment sales—they 
should be changing? Do you think they should be changing some of these rules? Like, obviously, as a builder perspective, I'm going to put my my builder hat on and nowhere close to. I'm not a builder, but if I'm looking at this now moving forward, as we've gone through an environmental change, right? The market's shifted. If I'm a builder now of a condo and I see uh, John Smith comes in and goes, I want to buy ten units, and I'm I, not selling it to him, right? But that was the case even three four years ago. We had several investors come in and wanting to buy multiple units and we were advised by our legal team not to sell it to them because of the fear of closing. Like unless they can provide you with like proof that they have the liquid assets to, to close in these units. But even even that, as I said, it's it's a waiting game where I think what's happened over the last little while is really and hopefully it actually wakes a lot of people up to say like, listen, because we've hear stories all the time of investors that are trying to assign their units and it's near to impossible not only from the financing perspective it's like very difficult but from a legal perspective a lot of lawyers don't even understand assignments no no they 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 don't they don't understand what the causes are what what's being paid who's paying for what it's it's just a nightmare and that's a big a big factor that i think is going to actually do you think that's um, above all the things we talked about in this episode and the previous episode about the financing the cost and everything is that not another fear that we're adding to the pot to say, look, I'm a, I'm a con developer. This is why maybe a lot of projects aren't going to market right now. Well, a lot of projects aren't going to market because uh, most construction financing is uh, a floating rate, so it's not. It, it's it's basically your your prime rate plus whatever the uh, the financier wants to add for their basis points. So let's use this current environment as an example. If you started building as a builder in 2021, when financing rates were still low. And you've got a three-year construction cycle that doesn't end until mid-2024. You've gone through 10 hikes. Every time there's a hike, it changes the amount of interest that's owed on that project. The financier has the right to turn the tap off, which basically means we don't fund next month's draw until you put, as a developer, in the difference. So if the difference on that interest on a $100 million project on a 25 basis point increase, let's call you know, it's two and a half million bucks, the developer has to come in and put that two and a half million dollars. If that happens 10 times and they don't have the money, then that project goes into receivership and the, develop- and the, the, the um, uh, financier pulls out their, develop- their, their, their finances out of that development. They pull their cash out. They call the loan. It's a very scary environment. Like I said, if I was building condos right now, I'd be very scared. So this just brings us a little bit round full circle. It's like, how can you, how can we hear the conversations? Everyone, you know, you know, sort of harks on, on builders. And I'm like, it's not the environment right now to take on that risk, especially for the end user, as opposed to, is there the same amount of risk when it comes to a purpose built rental? Would you say it's a little bit, um, a lot different? There is, and there isn't the, the risk is that you uh, put up the covenants to build the building because no one's going to come out and give you $100 million to build a product unless you've got the covenants to be able to back it up. So first off, you put up the covenants and then you build the project. So you've put all the money up, you're paying the interest on the project and you don't have guaranteed sales like you do on a condo. Now you have to hope that that you know that, that old saying, build it and they'll come, mm-hmm. comes true. That once you build it and you start marketing it, you have to hope that you're going to get renters. Now, in this market and in the environment that we're in, where there is low inventory of, of uh, rental units at pretty well everywhere, the risk is a little bit mitigated, but there's still a huge risk. So, at the end of the day, you're paying that interest until the entire building is full. Absolutely. But you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have potential renters in the mar- in, in your units filling, paying you revenues 
on, on those units. The question is, what happens? As I said, right now we're in an environment where rent seems to be going up, right? And you're building your unit at today's costs. What happens down the road? Let's say if we start to get more units and the rent changes, does that change the dynamics of your project? How does it change the dynamics of your project? Well, if the rent changes, if it goes up, it, it obviously makes makes it better. Um, if they bring in rent control again, then it'll make it worse. And, uh, you know, what I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about rent control again, where, you know, the, uh, the uh, Ford government removed uh, rent control uh, a few years back. Anything built after 2019 was not subject to rent control. With all this talk about non-affordability, it's a very high probability that they might bring that back. That certainly changes the numbers for certain developers. But let's keep in mind that when developers are um, forecasting their building, they're using today's rents. Mm-hmm. On, on a product that won't come out for another three years. So you hope that with your annualized increases that you will uh, you will be able to have better numbers, but you can only do your numbers based on today's rents. Where that gets a little tricky is that you're also using today's construction costs. And construction costs are going up rapidly. Like just you know two years ago during the pandemic, the construction costs went up 30%. So if you budgeted $300 a square foot. Now that building ended up costing you $390. That's $90 a square foot more that it cost you. That could seriously impact your debt service coverage, mm-hmm. which would, would require you as a, as, a, as a sponsor, as a building owner, to now put in the extra cash required into that deal to, to increase your capital in that project. Otherwise, the financier might say, well, you know, you're not covering your ratios anymore with the amount of cash you have in the deal. We're going to pull our money out. With especially with the code here, do you think do you think Ontario's actually just to go back to that for a second because there's a lot of controversy around like Ontario's code is probably is you th- would you say our building code is one of the best or do you think there's a lot more room for improvement from your perspective? No, I think it's I think it's fine. I think that you know uh, um, it's it's been evolutionized over the last number of years where it's been built on and, and improved. Um, you know, the, the last national building code was released in 2017 and, um, uh, you know, I, the previous one was 2015 and, mm-hmm. and I think it's just getting better and better as, uh, as, uh, building and construction, mm-hmm. uh, goes on. Um, but you know, frankly, I mean, I hear a lot of people say, oh, houses aren't built like they were in the fifties. And I, I actually had an online debate with somebody that, thank God, that was a very, very asinine comments that was coming from, from this individual that absolutely had no idea. And they said, look at all these houses that were built with brick. And they're still standing, and now they build them with wood. And I said, well, but so were those houses. Those houses were the substrate behind that brick was built with wood, and they put brick on top of that. That That's how construction works. And the houses that are built now are actually way more efficient than they were built back then. And to your point, thank God, they're much better built unit, much more efficient, much more energy efficient. And you are getting better housing today than you were many years ago. Um what you are getting less of is unique design. You're seeing a lot more cookie cutter, and that, that's just a way for, for developers to make the costs work because you have to. You can't make a subdivision that has 1,000 homes with 1,000 different designs. You just can't. You, you need to be able to, um, to, to create a certain number of, of home types and, and different elevations that, uh, that they can then plan in that neighborhood to have uh, different looks of houses. But yes, you are going to drive down 10 streets and see 10 of the same home on each one of those streets. Yeah, builders are just trying to put them like maybe sp- sporadically. No, that's so, right. They so space they, it, they space so them out so it doesn't so look so as they eleva- cutter, So they give you these elevation options, right? The that's right. A, B, and C. It, it, it's absolutely incredible to actually think about it from the perspective of having to build that home 
from the 50s to now, yes, obviously the cost and everything associated to, but yeah, I believe we are building better quality homes. But there has been some arguments put forward is like as the cost for material comes up, and as I said, with builders right now these days, especially these condos, we start to hear a lot of people that have issues, right? These condos, like major issues with the reserve funds because there's cracks and foundational leaks and stuff like that. Is that a result of poor craftsmanship or maybe a builder trying to cut corners or a mixture of both? I don't think it's either because all the concrete in a building is tested and it's tested for its strength uh, of its cure date, which is 28 days after it was poured. So it's got to, it's got to pass a strength test that is dictated from the Ontario building code. Properties shift, foundations shift, they, they settle, the cracks happen. You talk about reserves, that has nothing to do with the developer and everything to do with the property manager that's in the building mm-hmm. managing that property after the condo developer has already pulled out of, of, the, of the development. So, you know, I've heard of buildings that have fantastic reserves where every time that there's a problem, bang, it's fixed, fixed. right away and you get never, no problems. And then I've heard of buildings that are completely mismanaged that have no reserves and then they, and then they go to all the residents and say, well, you've got to put up 50,000 per unit. Otherwise, uh, we're putting a lien on, on your unit because it needs to be fixed. Things happen. Here, I'll explain it to you this way. Um, you have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. That iPhone, whatever it is, your iPhone 15, that iPhone 15 was tested by a thousand people before they ever sold a single unit. Mm. Every condo is built like a prototype for the first time. It's built once. It's never tested. The first people that test it are the first residents that move in. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get leaks. You're going to get cracks. You're going to get shifting. It's, It's inevitable. Even if you have the exact same design team working on two different projects you're never going to get the same trades and even if you get the same trades contractors you might not get the actual individual build the individual trade workers that are building it so you might have the exact same contractors and the exact same design teams working on two different two different projects Mm -hmm. but now the the men working on that site are different nick honestly it was great to have you the quality the content to have someone of your stature with uh, the amount of knowledge when it comes to building and developing to share with our viewers to understand exactly what's going on i really appreciate it. thank you for having on once again uh nick where can they find you uh oneurban.ca you can find us on our website you can find us on social media instagram facebook all the cool places that so you if you're can looking find for an us. upcoming project check it out and you can find us obviously on our website at intouchmore solutions on Instagram at a, uh, a underscore Venuto or at Touch Mortgages and YouTube, Spotify, all the channels for those podcasts. Once again, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.